greetings to everyone and happy spring. And so far, at least where I live in Pennsylvania, it's been a happy spring. Welcome or welcome back to the Yearbooking Report podcast. My name is Sky Geezy. I've been a Jostens representative for the last 22 years, but a journalist, hard to believe, actually for 40 years now, since my senior year in high school. And of course, a yearbook is a work of journalism. The two go together. And so hopefully, uh, during this most insane school year ever, you have been persevering. And come on now, hang in there. The end is in sight. Yes, in school, of course, we call that summer vacation. And it's coming. And spring is underway. And hopefully that means warmer temperatures, brighter skies, and hopefully better situations, no matter where you may be listening at this particular point. So once again, welcome. Great to have you, or great to have you back. And we picked an interesting topic for this one because we went back and talked with someone that we've talked to before. If you recall, for regular listeners, go back to the August episode of 2020. And back then we talked with Erica Lynn Payne. Now, Erica is, well, she's very unique in the fact that she is teaching in one place, but her group is actually over 2,000 miles away. She is from Southern California, but at one point, before the virus showed up, she made a move to Kentucky. And unlike other schools that would just go and find a new yearbook advisor, in this case, the school said, hey, can you keep advising the yearbook staff from way over there? And Erica said, sure, let's give it a try. Now, again, this was before the pandemic started. And so when we talked to her back in August, we wanted to hear from an expert, someone very well-versed in online teaching and online advising, to get some tips because, if you recall, back when the school year started, it appeared that everybody was going to be doing this, right? Lockdowns, everybody at home, remote learning, and so on. Well, how do you lead a yearbook staff if everybody's at home? Well, Erica was an expert. She had uh, lots of experience doing that the prior year. So we talked to her back in August to get some tips and ideas, and she shared some great ones on how to do this, here are some tools, here are things to do, and so on, to help get the school year started. Well, recently we thought, okay, It appears, if you follow news stories, a lot of people getting vaccines and hopefully things are changing, the rules are being adjusted and so on, that maybe, just maybe, we're sort of getting back into some sense of so-called normalcy. Well, we wanted to get back with Erica to see, okay, it's been almost a full school year now that for all of us we've been doing remote learning and advising and such. Has anything changed for her? What has she learned from, for her, her second year of online advising? Has anything changed? Are things better? Are things worse? And so on. And so we wanted to get sort of a a catch-up, sort of a recap from her, because, again, I consider her an expert. She's been doing this, I think, pretty much longer than anybody else. How's it been going for her? And so we had a pretty wide-ranging conversation about yearbooking, about online advising, about online learning, and also as we went into the conversation a bit more just about education in general. How has education been changed by this entire insane situation we've all been dealing with for the past 12 months plus now? We have some pretty interesting observations we're going to share in this episode. And we're going to ask you to stick around to the end because we have a very special treat, especially if you like to eat, a very special treat coming up at the end of the interview. We're going to leave you hanging on that one, all right? But first off, let's meet or let's reintroduce Erica. All right, now folks, we're making history on this one. This is the third season of the Yearbooking Report. This is the very first time we've had a repeat guest. Now there's a reason We have a repeat guest, all right? And we will explain that reason here in just a little bit. But first off, let's welcome back to our show, our friend Erica Lynn Payne, who is essentially from everywhere, all right? And if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll fill you in. Erica, thanks for being with us again today. Thank you so much for having me back, Scott. Now, folks, we're going to talk your book. And later on, Erica and I have opinions on education. And come on, so do the rest of you, all right? Let's be honest. So we're going to share some in this crazy year. Stay till the end. We have a very special treat. 
at least that's what Erica claims, going to be a special treat at the end of the interview. All right, so here we go. Erica, first off, now we had you back on in August yes. when the school year was starting and um, for a very unique reason. So let, first of all, let's, for folks that didn't hear us back in August, let's, let's get a little background on you. Tell us something about yourself, or what you teach, maybe where you teach and so on. Go right ahead. Okay, my name is Erica Lynn Payne. I'm the yearbook advisor for Rock Academy in San Diego, California. And I live in Williamstown, Kentucky. 2,500 miles away. All right. Now, folks, you're thinking, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you've been doing this now for, well, well, we'll zoom ahead, two full years. Yes, sir. In other words, folks, she started doing this before the virus showed up, months before. Now, give us the background here, Erica. All right. You were in Southern California and I've seen your book from like a couple of years ago, Dynamite, Dynamite book. Thank you so much. And then we're really proud of what we do. <laughs> and then you go to Kentucky. Now, okay, what yes. what happened? Did you lose a bet? I mean, why did you go to Kentucky? No, um, I fell in love with a guy 17 years ago and I told him I'd follow him to the end of the earth. And in 2019, the end of the earth became Kentucky. Now, by the way, sure. folks, we're not making fun of Kentucky. Okay. No, don't no, 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 no. Oh, I love the Go Commonwealth. It is the best. It is the best decision we've ever made yeah. for our family and our mental health. Um, so we love it here. We love all that Kentucky has to offer with the exception of its Mexican food and lack of In-N-Out burger. So if you are on the West Coast and feel like sending a package, please contact Scott and he'll get my address to you. Or, or not, but you can go ahead and try <laughs> anyway. So there we go. Now I'm from central Pennsylvania and I've been to Kentucky, central Pennsylvania and Kentucky. There's a lot of similarity. Yeah. I've been to Southern California, not so much similarity. <laughs> Let's be blunt. It just isn't. No. So the idea was, all right, your husband got a, I guess, an, an awesome job and you and the family decided obviously to go with him, yes. but you decided to continue to, to advise this yearbook staff in Southern California. Well, I started the yearbook program at our, it is a private K-12 school. And I was the first official yearbook teacher there. Um, I worked with my awesome Justin's rep, Darla Burkle, shout out to Darla Burkle, um, to build a program. And, you know, after doing it for a dozen years, um, it was really hard for me to let go. And it was really hard for them to let go. So um, it's always a huge blessing to have a super supportive administration. And they said, hey, um, you're just going to teach your book online. Like, why not? 21st century learners. Why not? Interesting. Now, I mean, I've been at this for over two decades. And when a yearbook advisor leaves or retires or whatever, um, usually just some person takes over. I mean, was yeah. that never into the equation for your school? Well, okay. So I think this is another amazing blessing about my principal used to be a yearbook advisor. So she understands the work that it is that we do, the coaching, the networking, the, you know, the tyranny of the deadlines. She understands all of that. And she has said, finding a yearbook advisor has been a very difficult thing in her career. And to find somebody, you know, and to have somebody who loves your book, who knows your book and who already has built an amazing support team with our photography company, again, with Justin's, um, that was a, a great partnership that she didn't want to sever. So she was like, if you're willing, let's do it. And I was willing. So we did it. Um, okay. And this year, you know, we do have a change. I am transitioning uh, into, so next year I will not be doing it. Uh, this year I spent a lot of time coaching the on the ground yearbook advisor. And so he took over the day-to-day and produced a yearbook we got our fireworks a few uh, weeks ago and it was really exciting cool that means you're finished yay are finished not, we're not doing an extended edition this year so he's taking it easy on his first book yeah i guess i don't understand why there isn't a line of people at every school that wants to be your book advisor it's really i don't get it either like honestly it's the greatest job ever okay i'm being facetious <laughs> oh no i'm like dead serious <laughs> I don't know of probably almost any school out there that has a line of people that want to be the yearbook advisor. Well, Although, my joke is always, I went into teaching so I could teach yearbook. Okay. And we're glad you did. So there we go. I've been teaching okay. for 20 years. 
Now, when we talked to you back in August, we knew that we were, we had just gone through last spring when everybody, poof, was just thrown into this. Boom, go home. Got to work from home, all that stuff. But when we talked in August, the new yearbook or the new school year was just starting. And it appeared in so many places out there, things were still remote. Mm-hmm. Teachers were working from their kitchen table or, or wherever they were working from, okay? And so we talked to you to get some tips. Okay, if you're working with a staff remotely, here's mm-hmm. what you do. And you had a bunch of tips and ideas and all that sort of stuff, all right? Now, we won't review that. Folks, if you want to check that out, go find the August episode and listen in for round one. Here we are in round two. And so one question I have, Erica, is you've been at this now for, what, seven months of this school year right mm-hmm. now. Is everything the same? Did anything change from what you did last year? There's so much has changed. Um, one of the craziest things is for the first time in our school's history, we had two periods of yearbook. And then on top of that, you have you know, your students who are on campus as long as school is meeting in person. And then we had those students who were completely remote all year long. So not only was it now a logistical piece of syncing two periods and assigning roles and collaborating between two different times of day, but then also you have this on-campus, off-campus, people who are permanently off-campus. And so it was more of a dance than it was last year. Easier or harder? Um, you know what, teachers, we're amazing beings, um, probably some of the greatest people on earth. And so we learn to adapt. <laughs> hmm. All right. Very interesting. You got to make it work. You know, you, you get your apples and you still have to figure out how to make lemonade. I'm just telling you. Okay. I like lemonade. So that's a good thing. Okay. <laughs> whatever cliche you want to use, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's not ideal, but you make it work because ultimately I want my students to have, one, I want them to have a yearbook. Um, We need to celebrate their perseverance throughout the year. We need to celebrate all the amazing work that our colleagues have done um, and show them that even though things weren't as expected, like that's what you do, you know, as an adult, as somebody who contributes to society, you just keep going, you know, and you do your best. Um, You, as an educator, you always got to be teaching, you know, Um, if it's, one of the first lessons we do is how do you set up your Zoom space so you have appropriate lighting, you're framed in appropriately, what does body language look like online versus in a classroom? Um, you know, I had to set boundaries right away, like we're not doing class in bed, you need to have a space. And those kind of life skills um, translate into interviewing for college, you know, some kids have job interviews online. Other teachers have appreciated, you know, a different type of engagement from yearbook students and they can tell the difference. So you, you just got to be teaching. And that's what we do as educators. Now, that's kind of interesting because, you know, just at first glance, you would think, OK, what's the difference? You're teaching in a room. You're mm-hmm. teaching on a screen. You're teaching. What's the big deal? There's no difference. You're saying there is a big difference between those two. Yeah, I think pedagogically, I don't I don't. I think what. Some decision makers in the beginning were like, teachers can just take their class and put it online. And that's just one of those things where, you know, most organizations decisions are made by people who aren't doing the day to day. Um, My sister's a kindergarten teacher and her school requires students to be on computer for eight hours a day. She's got four and five year olds. The, the people who made that decision don't work with four to five year olds, yeah. you know, and those of us, you know, I think of my friend, Doug, who is a, a science teacher and he's trying to get kids to do labs online, you know, and that's not something you can transition because kids don't have Bunsen burners and we really don't want them playing with natural gas at home. So he had to change everything he does to create new physics experiments with what students have lying around their house. Um, Boy. You know, creating Rube Goldberg experiences with uh, kitchen utensils and things like that. So he had to change everything he does to put a science lab class online. Um, journal RS yearbook teachers, we had to change everything. You know, how do you teach students to interview online? They might be used to doing FaceTime 
you know, every now and then with a friend, but how do you do almost like a cold call interview with a student you don't have a relationship with on campus? You know, we have to teach them those kinds of things. Um, another thing that was really awesome is, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Otter, but Otter is a, a big love of us. Um, it's an app that's on your phone that transcribes interviews. And they did a plug-in with Google Meet. So we've been able to teach um, how to do interviews on Google Meet, as well as use this Otter extension, which transcribes the interview. It saves them on your Google Drive, and then you're able to go through and search. You know, um, one of the big things, not this school year because our theme is a secret, but last school year, um, I know a lot of people did 2020 vision books. We didn't do 2020 vision, but um, our opening was actually titled 2020 vision because when we were talking to people, we just interviewed, I had everybody interviewed 10 people before school started and then two teachers. And then the last question they had to ask is who else should I talk to? And they would do that. And so this became this mind map, almost web graphic element that we did. And our book was uh, 3D and people kept coming up with the word vision, vision, vision. So that's why I got that name. Um, but we just searched our otter things. Who said vision all year long? And we threw them in the opening, whatever that quote was. Um, we just have this big map of student quotes. So it was a really cool tool. And that's not something we would have really had needed to use um, if we were doing person to person. It just became different and things were shaped differently. Wow, check that one out. Okay, I'm not Oh, right. otter.ai. Yeah, I don't get any money from them, but I really should. The amount of schools that I... Okay. <laughs> Talk to. That's one I'm not familiar with. I'll check that one out. That sounds pretty good. All right. We'll get back to more with our friend Erica Lynn Payne from Kentucky, still advising that staff in Southern California. Yeah, pull out a map. That's over 2,000 miles away. Wow. We'll get back to more with Erica here in just a bit. Yes, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, that could be the pandemic, but we're actually talking about the school year, right? A couple of months, summer vacation, everybody's going to be excited. Yeah, maybe cautiously still this year, but the end of the school year, of course, is always an exciting time for students and, yes, for teachers too, all right? No doubt about that. How do we remember this unprecedented year. I know that's a cliche, but it's the best word, this unprecedented year. Well, if you're a Jostens yearbook, two ways, actually, your choice. We have our terrific year in review supplements. There's the World Beat Supplement, which is 16 pages, more suitable for high schools and older students. And we have our Flashbacks Supplement, eight pages, more suitable for younger groups, you know, think elementary, maybe middle school, and so on. These are two terrific year in review inserts, and you know, it's interesting, when I've had a chance to talk to students about these, they're like, well, why do we want those in our book? We know what happened this year, you know, that sort of thing. Of course, students don't get the idea that, oh, a yearbook is around for life, and so many years from now, when they pull that book off the shelf and they're looking through it and they get to the year in review supplement, oh yes, at that point, they're going to spin through that year in review supplement. Oh yeah, I remember that person. Oh, I remember when that happened. I remember when that team won a championship or this trend or this whatever it is. That is when a year in review supplement is truly worth the investment. Jostens works hard in our world beat and flashbacks uh, supplements. They're very slickly designed, very stylish, lots of great information. Now, of course, maybe you've noticed one thing about this most insane year ever. Some things have changed, no doubt, and they're going to continue to change even after this is all over. And we've changed a few things with our supplements, too. For instance, when it comes to WorldBeat, in the past, Jostens only ever produced just one version, and if you were a spring delivery book, you got it. And if you were a summer or fall delivery book, you got the same one. And frankly, we usually wrapped up work on that around February, so that it was in time, of course, for spring delivery uh, books and so on. This year, that's going to be different. For fall, uh, summer, fall delivery folks, your world beat is going to be slightly updated with things that happened in March and April and May and so on. This is the first time we've done this, sort of two different versions of world beat, the timing depending on when your book comes out. That's a good thing. But also along with that, we realize, especially for spring delivery folks, you know, things do happen in March and April and May, of course. 
And so now we've decided to also kind of compile uh, a list of fresh images and topics that you can grab digitally that maybe you want to put, maybe not into a book, maybe into a spring supplement, or perhaps you have other uses for that. That is now included as part of the package. So if you want to make sure you have a chance to catch some of that later in the school year stuff, now you have the opportunity to do it. World Beat and flashbacks are terrific any year. But you think about this year, what I've called the most historic school year ever, because it is, World Beat or Flashbacks would be a great addition to your book. If you've got it, lucky you. If you don't have it yet, it's probably not too late to add it. Contact your Jostens representative for all the information on how you can add one of these two terrific supplements to your book so that you fully remember this pretty amazing school year. All right, good, good stuff. Let's get back to our friend Erica Lynn Payne as we talk about online advising and learning. Now, my question was going to be, you kind of touched on it here a little bit. How is okay. your booking different this year compared to last year, either for you or for your group back in San Diego? Because again, let's let's review. Last year... <laughs> I'm advising at two schools. <laughs> okay, well, that's different. Last year, this, this insanity started in mid-March, and it mm -hmm. only lasted, roughly speaking, the last three months of the school year three months. Before that, we had six months of, I guess, normalcy, you would call it. This year, no normalcy. Now, from your perspective, how is your booking different this year compared to last year? Again, either for you personally or for your group back in San Diego. Yearbook has been completely different. Um, like I just kind of screeched. I advise at two different schools. So my school in Kentucky has been in person all year long. Um, so I've been on the ground with my team, my school in California started off virtual. We got approval from the government to go in person because of the precautions our school took in place. So we had that, but again, we still had, um, some students offline. We had two periods, so it's totally different. And then advisors, other advisors that I work with and talk to their experience is different based on their state or their board of education. I don't think anybody has had the same two experiences and, that's what's awesome about yearbook. Um, something that Casey Nichols said years ago is that our your yearbook should almost be like an inside joke, or maybe that was John Ketzinger. Um, the yearbook should be an inside joke for your school. You know, nobody else should be able to use your opening copy or any of that because it should be specific to your school in this year. And so I think this year has been how we look at this, what our school, what our community is doing has been an amazing story for each school to tell individually because it has looked different. Um, some schools weren't able to do sports all year long. Some schools were able to do sports and only the athletes were present. Some schools were able to do sports and everybody have one fan present. Some schools, it really didn't matter. You know, some seasons were postponed. And so that for a small school like Rock Academy, that has made a big difference because you know, our male varsity athletes are all tri-sport athletes. Our female varsity athletes are all tri-sport athletes. And when you combine and, you know, shuffle the deck on seasons, that determines what sports we can even offer. Um, and then uh, just really trying to get the story of the year a different way. You know, you can't wait for somebody outside of class as easy as you used to be able to, because at our school, we had staggered start times and we went to a cohort well. So that way, you know, if you were in this group, this was your, for lack of a better phrase, like your germ group that you're going through school with. Um, and that's how we tracked exposure and things like that. And um, we're able to be proactive and keep school going all year long. Um, other people, other friends that I have, students aren't allowed at games. And because a staff can, um, my friend who's an advisor took all the photos of all the sports all year long because he uh, did duty at them in order to get in. So they would have photos to put in their yearbook. So it's been it's been really interesting. Um, I know my friend at the school down the street, she's worked with the local press because they can't go to games. But the newspaper has actually gone in to cover the high school sports. And so they've given them um, photos. So you just everybody's just working hard and trying to work together. And I think that's been one of the amazing things that's come out of this experience is we've learned to use our resources a little bit more. 
And I think everybody's hurting in a way and everybody wants to help in a way. So it's, it's been a beautiful, a beautiful thing to make yearbooks more communal or community oriented. Find the positive, find the positive. They're in there somewhere. Um, And all those things you just described, I've encountered. And one of the things I find interesting about this whole situation is how people are just doing it differently. Mm-hmm. You mentioned pri- you, you're, the, the school in San Diego is a private school. Public schools are different. I don't know. They're just handling this differently. Can California, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, I could probably pick any state in the union. We're all doing this a little differently, which is weird. It's just strange to deal with. Now, as far as the book is concerned, mm-hmm. this year's book versus last year's book, the same, greatly different. How about that? Greatly different. Um, we did reduce our page count significantly. Um, and this is the first year we're not doing an extended edition, uh, probably in the last eight or nine years, just because um, my partner, I guess, for lack of a better title, um, my partner, you know, it's his first book and your book's intimidating. It's a lot. Um, you know, there are some departments on school. I am trying to be positive, but sometimes you get a little salty. Some, some department, you know, like, oh, if you're a coach, you get a prep to help you with like game plan and to watch tape. But if you're a yearbook teacher, you don't get like a yearbook prep. So yearbook, I always say like, I taught AP classes. Yearbook was way more work in preparation than any of the AP classes I ever taught. Um, so just learning that um, and getting through those first three plant deadlines like that's just glorious and we celebrate that and our yearbook ended in february with the year that we covered now from that description i've got some advisors listening they're nodding their heads no prep Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. it's okay those that aren't nodding your heads enjoy it like like, congratulations i'm so happy for you (laughs) because you need it so folks, you're not alone, okay? Erica just described you're not alone. Maybe that makes you feel better. I don't know. Um, there is strength now, in let, knowing that you're not alone right now. All right, pull out your crystal ball, so to speak. <laughs> you're, booking, Magic eight. you're booking in the future. All, all this stuff we've been dealing with, the new things that you were talking about earlier that you're using now and, and so, this and that and so on. Mm-hmm. How will this situation affect your booking in the future? Now, let's assume that this fall we're sort of, quote, normal. Okay. People get their shots and they can get back into groups and it's not a problem to go back to a building and it's okay to have a crowd, you know, all that sort Mm -hmm. of stuff. But all these things we've dealt with this school year, things you've used, things you've done, has your booking changed for the future or do you think it'll just sort of go back to the way it was? I hope we're all changed for the future. That's my big hope because I don't want to go through anything in life. And I hope my children, you know, don't go anything in life where they don't face adversity and come out better for it. Um, I would like to think it's made us all better journalists. So instead of always trying to snap that picture of the football team running through the banner, like we have worked really hard to get new stories and not cover the same thing over and over again, because a lot of us had to fill pages when nothing was happening. You know, we still had to put content on pages. So I hope at the bare minimum, we all come out as better journalists. I hope that we all um, have been able to figure out how to get those kids, you know, who are on the fringe. Um, And I know a lot of my teacher friends have struggled to get those kids just to show up to class. So um, just really trying to make every person matter within all of those stories. I hope also we come out, um, like I said, just better connected to our community relationships. Um, when I wasn't able to be on campus, with my yearbook students, and Scott, I think I said this back in August, but like my teaching philosophy is show, not tell. You know, I'm a really hands-on teacher. When I have my yearbook students, the first football game of the year, I'm with them shooting on the sidelines, you know, and showing them zoom with your feet. Um, I am, uh, I have, you know, we work with our, our worship team and we turn the lights off really dark during their uh, practice. So that way they can, my students can practice taking photos during chapel, low light photography and we work on that. Um, I also, you know, am really hands-on with interviewing the first few times just to, just to coach. And so not being able to do that 
when we could open up school, I had, you know, a parent who is a professional photographer come in and do the photography lessons so they could have hands on because it's one thing for me to talk on a screen, you know, and explain aperture and shutter speed, um, you know, and angles, bird's eye, worm's eye, you know, how do you make one shot 25 different frames and have them all be different? You know, I can say that as a talking head, but to be on the ground with the student, help them physically move, show them, you know, have them walk with me. It's, it's a different experience. So hoping that we have those community partners, you know, my girlfriend at the school down the street, you know, just having a relationship with the local press now, hopefully that will benefit our students for years to come. Um, and then just also our spirit of generosity, you know, everybody knowing that it's not the way it's been, you know, and having the desire to work with people to, to help each other. I really do hope that it changes your book for the future. All right. Now, so after you said all that thing, I think I know how you're going to answer this next question because you're giving up online advising this year. In other words, mm -hmm. the, the school in California is sort of going to be on their own now, but uh, you've done it very successfully. Why are you giving it up? I think there's no place like home. <laughs> there needs to be a home base, a teacher, you know, a stocked fridge for the kids. There needs to be that on the ground support. Um, that ear to the ground and staff meetings to, to hear what's going on or an adult to face the battles with the difficult parents. You know, there needs to be that gatekeeper kind of person to protect the yearbook students. There's so many things that you do as an advisor, you know, slash life coach, um, that having somebody in person is going to benefit them long-term. And I also think that there's, you know, I never did online dating or anything like that, but there's, so I'm only speaking from my experience, but there's only so much relationship that can be had on a screen or on a phone or in an email. I think there's so much to relationship building and trust building that happens face-to-face -face in the flesh. I can't argue with any of that. Not, not one lick. In my particular case, I've been working remotely for a year now. Mm -hmm. um, I visited one yearbook staff in August because they begged me to come. And so I went, uh, I have not visited any other staff for 12 months. And I miss that. There's just something about being in the room with people, mm -hmm. being with the kids. Mm -hmm. You were talking earlier about teaching photography. I, that's something you really need to do face to face, like standing next to somebody, you know? It is. I mean, and like one of my just personal goals for myself is that I learn something new off the internet every week, you know? Um, so I have a few like YouTube photographers or Photoshop guys that I follow and, um, you know, I try to learn a new skill and I feel like, you know, there's, there, you, you can learn online, right. But like a YouTube video where I'm learning a new skill, it's like 12 minutes max. So I don't have the attention span for something much longer than that. Um, so I can't imagine our kids sitting all day in front of a screen. And just even as a teacher, no teacher wants to talk that much. Like that's, or I guess no good teacher wants to talk that much. So, <laughs> no. And I tell you, you know, I think everybody knows this now. Screen fatigue is real. It's real. Well, and the American Academy of Pediatrics has been saying that for years. They said like high schoolers shouldn't have more out than two hours of screen time. I mean, they've been saying that for years. And then for the last year, we've put our kids on a screen you know, defying everything that professionals are telling us, you know, and we're wondering why on average American students have dropped 30% in their skills. You know, you, you see that across the board and um, it, it's, it's hard. And like I said, that's why it's so important that we get these books out to celebrate the perseverance, you know, let's celebrate our kids not quitting. Let's celebrate our teachers are not quitting. Let's celebrate our administrators on like, could you, imagine the administrative nightmare this has been for our principals and our boards of education. Like I, you know, um, it's just, I just can't imagine. And so it's so, I, I talk to schools all the time. We're like, we're just not doing a book this year. And that breaks my heart. Um, and I know it's hard, you know, but we do hard things. I have heard many stories this year from administrators, and I feel for those folks because it's like fighting upstream, I think, in some cases. now That's a hard thing to do. I'm not really empathetic to administrators, so the fact that I feel sorry for them right now, it's like a big deal. Yeah.
We'll get back to our final segment with Erica Lynn Payne as we talk about education. I said to her, hey, let's just talk about education in general. She said, okay, because I know she has opinions, and frankly, so do I. And frankly, so do you. If you're listening to this podcast, I know you're looking to the future wondering, how are we going to do certain things in the future after all the things we've been dealing with for the past year, right? Well, get ready for some interesting opinions and that special surprise at the very end. We're going to make your mouth water, although Erica is going to say some things that really caught me by surprise, like, what? Get ready. That's coming up in just a bit. Hopefully you are doing okay. Now, again, as we record this here in mid-March, the signs are looking good. A lot of people out there getting vaccines. That's good. Here in my home state of Pennsylvania, a lot of teachers have been getting a vaccine just recently in the past days and, and week or two which of course is a good thing. You know, teachers with vaccines feel more comfortable in an at-school setting. Of course, no idea, really, when kids are going to get vaccines. I've heard summer, I've heard fall, maybe you've heard something differently. Of course, we need to take care of the at-risk folks first, you know, elderly people with health conditions and so on. Adults, for whatever reason, seem to be a little more susceptible to this thing than kids are. So adults first, kids second. But that is coming. As we record this again, things are looking pretty good. Hopefully you're doing okay. Yes, this has been the most challenging year ever. Uh, that, that goes without saying. And it's going to continue. That goes without saying as well. I know we all want to just rush back together and have fun and get together in crowds and go to sports games. Folks, we need to... Uh, we need to temper our enthusiasm just a little bit longer. Yeah, it's disappointing for me when I see where I live in central Pennsylvania, some usually really big summer events where crowds get together. They're already being canceled again this year. They've already announced they're not even going to take a chance. And of course, that makes my shoulders kind of uh, sag, like, oh, I want to get back to normal. We all have that feeling, right? I want to take this mask and go outside and burn it which at some point I'm actually going to do. We need to hang in there, folks, all right? We need to tell our kids, hey, guys, we just got to hang in there. It's interesting, a year ago, my thought was for the senior class of 2020. Now, of course, we remember a year ago, all those things that got canceled, spring sports, proms, in some cases, graduations, or at least they were delayed or greatly disrupted. And I felt badly for the senior class of 2020. What a terrible end of their year. Well, then I thought, what about the senior class of 2021? They've been going through this insanity for an entire school year plus now. Back a year ago, I thought, we've got to do something extra for the class of 2020. And a lot of folks did. What are we doing for the class of 2021? I hope at your school, you know, again, this year, I, there will be a, a graduation ceremony, but will everybody have to sit three or six or nine feet apart or something like that? At this juncture, as we're recording this, we don't know. But we do know that this class of 2021 has gone through a lot. Hopefully, again, you are doing some very special things at your school, at your high school for this particular group. One uh, idea I've thrown out to my schools that I work with, hey, if you've got leftover funds at school because of canceled events that didn't happen, that money's just kind of sitting there, why not get a yearbook for every senior? Because they deserve it. Some schools did that last year for the 2020 class. I think that's a good idea this year for the 2021 class. All right, Some of those folks are really going through a struggle this year. You know, A yearbook paid for by the school because they couldn't get one themselves, that's a great thing. So if you haven't thought about that, Give that some consideration. I think that would be a pretty good idea. Right now, let's get back to our final segment with our friend Erica Lynn Payne from Kentucky and California. Talking education and something really yummy. Now, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's just talk about education. Now, I just heard what you just said. All right. Now, online education. We've had cyber schools for, well, years. We've had them for years. Yeah. And now in the past 12 months, everybody essentially in, in one form or another has been forced into some form of cyber school. If it's through your school or you switch to a cyber or they have the online program or whatever it is. Okay. Um, but what you just said about online education, you're thinking, boy, this doesn't work. 
Now, what's your thought? Which is hilarious because my degree, my master's is in educational technology. So, I mean, I spent two years doing research on online education, like 20 some years ago, you know, when I was in grad school. So it's really funny that I'm like the teacher who's like, well, in person is best. (laughs) Always? I don't think, I think, like I said, we can learn stuff online. Um, I'm a huge proponent of a flipped classroom. So when I was teaching history at Rock Academy, in addition to yearbook, you know, I would put information up for my students to learn before they come to class so we can really dive into it, you know, give them a little bit of background information. Then we can start analyzing historical documents together. We can um, create some simulations about how a Senate meeting would go, those kinds of things. And so I'm a huge proponent that, yeah, you can learn stuff online. I, but I think what you captured before, screen fatigue, you know, an eight hour day, a full school day for somebody whose mind is continually developing. I mean, there are neural pathways that we are overriding with stimulus. You know, um, we have put temptation into our kids' hands. We've given them the world and not really given them the, the skills or taught the self-discipline in order, you know, to not be watching YouTube, you know, while you're in school, you know, on the side, like my nine-year-old nephew last night lost his video game time because he was watching YouTube, which he's not allowed to do while he was going to school, you know? So these kids, we need to equip them um, before we unleash them. All right. That makes perfect sense. Now, okay. So in other words, you've done graduate work on this. You've lived online education big time for two years now. Mm -hmm. And then whatever you mentioned previously, you were doing lots of stuff. Okay. Your opinion, again, let's come fall, let's assume quote, quote, normal, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully things are much better and folks are back in schools and so on. How can a standard school with a building use online education in the future? Let's hope this virus never comes back. We never have another pandemic, but online education, we've been using it heavily now for a year. What do you think for the future, going back to a standard school model, do we just throw online education out the window or is there ways to use it? There's definitely ways to use it. You know, um, there are opportunities where um, there's something you might not be able to do in person, like here in rural Kentucky. Our news media, we have, you know, Louisville, which is two hours away. We have Cincinnati, which is about an hour away, and Lexington, which is about an hour away. So in San Diego, I used to take my kids around the corner to go to a news station, meet with newscasters, talk with producers, you know, and understand professional journalism. Well, that's a lot harder to do in rural Kentucky, you know? So there is that role where you have the expert Zoom in or Skype in, you know, kind of a thing um, to connect them with resources they normally wouldn't have. Um, the other thing is like, you know, you kind of see the out school model where when we have applied arts that have been pulled out of schools in certain parts of the country, you know, maybe online culinary would be an awesome option for some students who that's what they want to do, but it's not offered at their school. You know, well, they can take patisserie online. And again, it's that 35 minutes, you know, we're not having that screen fatigue. You're not getting that two hour AP lecture. I know our school, we do have online classes for students who are interested in things that we don't offer because we, the Rock was a small private school, you know, so we offered Spanish. That was our only foreign language. But if you wanted to take French, you could do it online and you would go sit in a very lush chair for study hall and manage it yourself, you know, um, and a lot of those students were not successful in that model because it is a different model. Um, again, because they hadn't been taught how to learn online, just like our teachers couldn't just pick up their classroom and throw it online. You know, it, it's it's a different way of learning and teaching. So I think there is a place for it. Absolutely. You know, that's why we have it. That's why it works. Um, you look at those online ESL companies that specialize in kids in Asia, you know, um, those work. Again, it's a 25 minute English lesson. Out schools, 25, 30 minutes, you know. Um, so those, those models do work. That's interesting um, because I've always wondered this um, about those online courses you mentioned. Again, this is before the virus shows up, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, okay, I'm taking, I don't know, 
Chinese or something. Well, they don't offer that in my school, so I have to take an online course. Mm -hmm. Or Russian. It's usually a foreign language. Right. Or, or maybe some really high math subject or something like 3D that. 3D calculus was another one that kids would have to take online. And, you know, our school doesn't offer that. So you have to do it online. But mm -hmm. I've always wondered, did kids really get something out of that? Or was this just an excuse to give them something to fill up their time because we don't have it? Now, your opinion. I mean, did they, before the virus shows up, did kids really get something good out of those online courses? I will tell you that in the years, so our school, again, because we're small, we would alternate AP World, A Push, AP World, A Push. And so if somebody was in a, a different grade where they like, or it didn't work in their schedule um, and they, you know, it was an A Push year, but they couldn't take it with the others and took it online. A hundred percent of those students would come to me for resources, would come to me to understand what was being presented in their online class, because there's something about talking to a human being. And I think that's in our makeup. And I think that's why some of us have struggled so much with being separated. You know, that's why you see these suicide rates out of control, these, this anxiety medication in students. Um, I read something the other day, it's like 43%. Um, we've had a 43% overdoses in young people in my in the Commonwealth, you know, just because of all that's going on, you know, mom and dad don't have a job. I'm trying to learn online. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, just it's exacerbated. So um, I think there is something about connecting with the human being. Um, I also know um, a really good friend of mine used to run an online program and the students who were in that, they did struggle because the, and it wasn't, I don't, it wasn't necessarily they had the opportunity to learn online, but it was the way that information was presented. Essentially what they were doing was just reading a textbook on a screen writing essays and answering questions. There was no even interaction with a, a teacher, which is why, you know, I keep saying patisserie without school because that's what we're doing. <laughs> My kids are learning to cook on out school. So when you have an adult, you know, actually demonstrating with you, being able to interact real time with you, there is a difference than, you know, just reading and scrolling online and <laughs> typing a paper into a thing and submitting it. So even, Online education has multi, you know, has different facets and different ways it can be done. You know, I just think of like Blackboard back in the day, that's what we did in grad school for some of my online classes. And you never, we didn't have, we'd watch a video of the professor and then we would interact with chat and everybody had to post two questions and then respond to like five um, other people, you know, and that was, that was our online class, but there was never any interaction with anybody. You know, so again, just like some teachers are better teachers than others on campus, you know, some teachers are better teachers online. Hmm. All right. One quick follow-up, but before I said that earlier, you, you said Commonwealth folks, the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Yes. All right. That's Kentucky and Pennsylvania. There's a similarity. We're officially the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. There, I didn't know that. Like, okay. Yeah, there are like a half dozen states out there that go by the name of a commonwealth, and the, mm -hmm. the government's a little different. That, that's what commonwealth means. Although you and I are really on the same wavelength. Um, I'm from a rural area, and there's always been the talk of that divide between rural schools and either mm -hmm. urban or suburban schools that are close to things. You talked about mm -hmm. that earlier, where rural schools, it's like you'd have to hop on a bus and drive for hours to get to something you know like a if some of our kids have to ride a bus for hours just to get to school out here yes yes and so online education is great for those rural schools especially if we can find a way to make it work now here's my last follow-up mm -hmm. get, get the crystal ball out again how do we make online learning better how do we make it better from what we've learned and what you've learned over the past one to two years now well, it's an equity issue and I hate to play like this, you know, but there are just even areas where I live where they couldn't do online model because the kids couldn't get internet where they live, you know? And so the district has hotspots around the county where kids can use their school issued Chromebooks because they didn't have computers at home to be able to, to facilitate online learning. Um, because, you know, out in the sticks, you don't have it. And so some of the schools started out, one of my friends, 
our neighbors, they would get a 200 page packet every week. And the kids would just sit at home. This is last year when everything first happened and they would do worksheets, 200 pages of worksheets. And then they would go back in and turn it in and then they would grab another break of worksheets to work through. And that was how they finished school at the end of the year because they didn't have Chromebooks lined up um, and there wasn't equitable internet access. Um, each of our schools has a family resource center that helps fill in gaps for families here in Kentucky. That's something that every school, every private, uh, public school has. And so our family resource people have been amazing at advocating for our students to make sure that they have the tools that they need, as well as helping them get online. You know, if you have two working parents who aren't at home with you all day long, you know, and you have a second grader and an eighth grader, and then the 11th grader is the one who's making all the meals and making sure everybody does their homework, you know, somebody needs to stand in the gap for that family. So I think that there's, you know, with that rural or even in some urban populations, you know, or if you have a single parent who's providing, there's nobody, there's nobody going to bat for the kid, you know, like day to day or just making sure they even show up. So that's just something that we have to do as a community um, to make it equitable. Um, one of my girlfriends had to go out and buy four computers for her kids so they could all do school online. Well, they have the money and they can do that. You know, for every family who can't go out and buy, you know, or I think she bought my iPads, four iPads. I couldn't go out and buy four iPads for my kids. You know, there are other families who can't even buy one for their family to share. Or, um, you know, some kids were doing Google on Classroom on their phones first, even at The Rock. Um, and we had to say, no, 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 you got to use your Chromebook, you know, because we were a one-to-one -one school. So um, there's, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to take place beforehand. And then I think, um, I just think that's just going to separate what we're going to see in the next few years is this achievement gap between the haves and the have-nots, you know, and that's, that's a real unfortunate thing. Um, yeah, what a year. What a year. And I'll be curious what you just said there. I'm going to be curious to watch that, that gap, if gaps really do develop. Um, sadly, I think they might. Um, I, some... I know that you look at those, you know, I think everybody's reporting what school districts haven't even had attendance. You know, there are school districts in certain states where they can account for 20, 30 percent of their students because they haven't shown up online and they don't know where they are. That's scary. And I'll yeah. tell you what. Going back to your books very quickly, off the charts this year, the number of kids with no picture, mm -hmm. just, uh, and I've, you know, urged schools, hey, see if you can find a way to get a picture of that kid, send a selfie, something. Mm -hmm. Some kids respond, a lot don't, or a lot haven't. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that grade, you have this list of names, people not pictured. And folks, the list this year is long. And yeah, and that I think that ties a lot into the decreasing book sales we've had this year. And as a school professional, I've got to be looking at that thinking, oh my gosh, boy, do we got a problem. Holy mackerel. Mm -hmm. So, and it's interesting, you know, where I live in central PA, yes, there's Wi-Fi in the school buildings. So people would drive to the school building, park mm -hmm. in the parking lot so they could do their work, or they went to a local convenience store chain yes. with Wi-Fi. And they would almost fill up the parking lot at the convenience store chain. And, you know, the convenience store is probably happy because kids are probably coming in, buying a cocoa, buying a latte, mm -hmm. buying a drink. And then they have to go back out in their car and do their work. Folks, there's something wrong there. <laughs> Hello? Absolutely. I, if one thing changes, I hope that's it. Rural connectivity. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, does that need to happen. My gosh. Okay, last question. Now, this is the special treat. This, this lady here is from Southern California, where she claims there's certain ways to make tacos. They're awesome as a pair, as opposed to every other place, apparently on the planet. All right, <laughs> lady, it's time for you to fess up. What's the big deal about Southern California tacos and how can I make them? Okay. Well, the first thing you need to do is when you see or think of the word taco, there's no ground anything. There's no ground beef, there is no ground turkey, no ground chicken, no ground meat. Meat. Really? Oh, it needs to be some sort of shredded or pulled. Yes. So, okay, so you need to have okay. Some... whoa, whoa, whoa. So then what's in a California taco? It sounds like there's nothing in it. 
Um, so my favorite is carnitas, which is a shredded pork. Um, when I cook it, it takes me eight hours to cook it down and it's just caramelized around the edges and it's so sweet. It just melts in your mouth. Um, it's got that wonderful blend of citrus. It has some sweet in it, onion, cilantro. I just put that on the top and Yes. And then also no pre-made shells. Like you got to fry your own shells if you're doing the fried shell thing. We do a lot of corn tortillas at my house because we do have a gluten allergy in the home. Um, How do you make, how do you make shells? I've never done that before. Get your oil heated up, some vegetable oil. Um, My dad always taught me to take a wooden spoon and you put the wooden spoon in. Once you see bubbles around the bottom of the wooden spoon, that's when your oil is ready. So I put my corn tortilla down and then just swirl it. Okay. So the oil gets over the top and then I flip it and I swirl it. And once it starts, once it's, you can feel just a little bit like rigidity, then you fold it. Then you fold it. Okay. And then I hang them from a wire rack. So all the oil drips off of them and they just have this perfect thing crease. And then if you use older taco shells, okay. Sometimes they split down the middle, you know, your older tortillas. It's also really good just to fry the mold off. I'm just kidding. But sometimes you get the older ones. <laughs> My mom likes to put a, a piece of lettuce down the middle. So when you bite it, all your stuff doesn't fall out the bottom. And so with the cheese, you got to use, it's called queso fresco. It's circle and then it, it crumbles kind of like a feta. Okay. It's a very mild cheese. Okay. The best kind is made with sheep's milk, I take. But okay. Or you could use shredded if you want to, but what you cannot do is what they call here in the Midwest queso, okay? Or queso, right? <laughs> Don't get me started on that. But it's like a white plasticine Velveeta-y thing sometimes with chunks of bell peppers. And I doubt highly that there's any dairy in it whatsoever. So um, they like to slather that on everything here. And so every time we go out, we're like, same queso, no. Um, and yes. So you're so not, like said, hold on. You're not a cheese whiz fan, apparently. Oh, no, no, no. but I'm that mom who makes like homemade mac and cheese. And, like when my kids go to restaurants, you know, if it's like the box stuff, I'm like, look at this. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> They're so bratty. All right. Now, real quick, eight hours for the meat is daunting. I'm thinking a slow cooker, a crock pot. Do the, you do- could do a crock pot. The thing is, is what is so amazing when you slow cook it on the stove is the fat renders out and then you get this. So once you do all your, I cook mine in orange juice and some other things, but orange juice is my like main citrusy and it like tenderizes the meat, the pork. Yeah. Um, once all the orange juice evaporates and gets like soaked in, you just have the oil left over and that oil like you fry it up and it just makes it a little crispy on the edges. And that's like the case there is a sauce. So that's what my husband likes. He likes it to have that like extra little crisp. And so what hubby wants, hubby gets. So. There you go. Folks, look, but you can also do, you can also do beef on the barbecue. Costco has this stuff. It's called arachera. <laughs> big slab of skirt steak. That's pre-marinated. It's like the perfect gringo taco. Like, All right, folks, we have to stop here because my mouth is watering. I need a towel. All right. That'll be my third episode. episode. (laughs) Folks, look what you learn when you listen to this fine program. Now you You know how to learn online. Yeah. Genuine, authentic tacos. There's a little work involved, but hey, anything in life, there's a little work involved, right? Yes. We do hard things. Amen. All the teachers are nodding their heads. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Well, Erica, hey, thanks very much. This was very enlightening. Um, good luck since you're going Kentucky only now here in a few months and, uh, you know, maybe we'll catch up again sometime. That would be cool. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. A big thank you again to our friend, Erica Lynn Payne, who is adjusting again in Kentucky. She's now an elementary school teacher there. She's not going to be doing the online advising anymore, and she shared that why in her uh, interview with us. Yeah, online works well to a point. And then it just, if you're not in a room or you're not together, you're not on site, there's just some shortcomings there. She realized that, 
but she's had a terrific two-year run advising her group in Southern California from Kentucky. And as all good things good come to an end, so to speak, she's moving on to a great thing where she is in Kentucky. So congratulations to Erica and much good luck to her. And folks, hopefully you got some really good information or inspiration or ideas from this particular episode. And so we say thank you for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast. Mm-hmm.